launches this one, and it is no good. That will do it. North Carolina wins it in a thriller, 28 to 25. They knock off Miami and send the Hurricanes to 0-2 for the first time since 1978. Mari, my friend, it's Raul from Hialeah. Uh, you can tell in my voice I'm not very happy right now, Manny. Not very happy at all. Oh, my man, I'm looking in the game. I'm excited. The Kings haven't played in two weeks. I'm ready to go. New Miami, baby. Manny's in the house. We're ready to go. And I start off with a lager. Me tomo una rubia. And I'm ready to go. And then I go to the Shivas. Pa, pa, dos palitos Shivas. I'm ready to rock. In that moment, my hermano empieza a juego ese. And nothing goes right at the beginning, man. Me meto dos, más, dos palos más de Shivas. Pa, pa. And I'm thinking it's got to turn around. Before I know it, it's 17 to 3. And I have to break out the aguardiente, my hermano, because I don't know what's going on. I need to bless this team. I need to get myself drunk. Something needed to change. And we got back in the game. Things started going good. But my hermano, what is going on with Boba Baxa? Can Boba go back to wherever he came from? Because tipo este is worse. His foot is worse than Daniel Day-Lewis and my left foot. Que eso, man? El tipo este no sabe patear. How do we recruit this guy? This guy no kicked before? I don't understand it. I know Mac Brown and his father Charlie Brown. And he probably ran Lucy out there to be the holder for us in disguise. So she pulled the ball away from him. But this is terrible, man. We got to be better than this, man. Oye, and fourth and seven things. Fourth and seven things, man. Que eso? Oye, that's longer than my bus arrived from Cuba to Miami. It took me less time to get to Key West in my balsa than it took these guys to make the first down. Fourth and 17, Manny. Que eso? Oye, again, if Bobo Baxa este también, landing off of the field goal at the end. You look at his eyes. You can see it in his eyes, Manny. Se hizo un poco caquita. Ya, caquita los pantalones. Before he even kicked the ball. El tipo de was not ready for prime times. Not ready for prime times. You know why this happens, Manny? You know why this happens? Because Manny Diaz no habla español. He don't know how to speak Spanish, Manny. He don't speak Spanish. I guarantee you, he going to have time in the locker room and le mete una descarga con mano a la gente esta y le da un poco cafecito and we win by 45. This needs to stop, man. This needs to stop. Now, next week, we got Bethune Cookman. We got to play the Bethune Cookman. We got to cook a Cookman. Okay? Because if not, this whole team needs to go to Rancho Cookman and get away from Miami. Ya no puedo más. I can't get out. We gotta get the supercabra off her back. Enough is enough, Manny. Oye, I'm so depressed today. Que le dije a la vieja. Oye, yeah. I'm un arroz con pollo. Tengo hambre. I'm depressed. I need something. Help me out here, mama. Oye, yeah. Que volar con arroz con pollo. Dale. Y traigo una lager. All right, Manny. I hope you have a good day. Better than what I'm having. Because right now, Manny, I can tell you. It's not very pretty, man. It's not very pretty. Well, it's good, Manny. Lies and Coleridge checking in again. More of the same from last week. I'm afraid even though we saw a huge improvement on our offense, almost 500 yards. But, uh, I mean, same old result, man. At the end of the day, the results are what matters. Jaron seems to get better with every game. Unfortunately, every game turns out to be a loss so far. The defense, to me, took a step back after playing, you know, with a decent Gator team, you know, championship caliber type defense to play like we did yesterday against a freshman QB. And, you know, it's the Tar Heels, man. At the end of the day, they don't recruit like we do, at least not right now. They don't play like we do. And, um, you know, we, we made them look really good yesterday. Hey, Manny, this is JR and uh, from West Palm Beach. Do you think, and this is just again, uh, maybe they should have had a package for uh, Tate Martell uh, because I feel that uh, Jaron 
uh, was under duress a lot, and maybe a package of him uh, for Tate uh, to run the ball more, uh, where, you know, you need a running quarterback instead of a passing quarterback in certain situations. Um, I'd like to get your feedback on that. Man, I hope Raul from Hialeah is okay. You think Raul's going to be okay, Mike Zimmerman? I think we should change this podcast name to 4th and 17, Manny. I don't know about you. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm your host, Manny Navarro, back home from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where the Miami Hurricanes fell to 0-2 on the season after uh, they fell behind 17-3, rallied in the fourth quarter to take the lead behind Jaron Williams, only to blow that lead again because their defense could not stop Carolina on 4th and 17. The Tar Heels took the lead for good with a 10-yard touchdown pass from Sam Howell to Daz Newsom in the corner of the end zone with a minute and one second left to play. Bubba Baxa had a shot to tie the game for the Hurricanes with under 10 seconds to play, but his 49-yard field goal attempt, as you heard on the broadcast, sailed wide left. So Miami is 0-2 for the first time since 1978. Raul from Hialeah is drinking heavily and demanding that his wife make him arroz con pollo. He also would like for Bubba Baxa to go Baxa to where he came from. Bubba Baxa, man, I mean, the life of a kicker is never easy. Last year, Canes fans were all over Zach Fiegels, the punter. Now, after two games, they want Baxa out. Baxa's 4 of 7 on field goals. He actually made a career-long 50-yarder against UNC. And then, of course, he missed another chip shot from 26 yards. Manny Diaz said that kick was partially blocked. Baxa also had an extra point blocked in the game. People are asking me on Twitter if Lou Headley, uh, the 26-year-old Australian punter Miami signed, if, they, if he can kick field goals. And My short response is, I don't know if he can. But it's an interesting question to ask Manny Diaz when he does his press conference at 1 p.m. today. We're actually recording this episode of the Wide Right Pod, episode 6, Monday morning before Diaz's presser. Sunday night, we tried recording the episode with Kelvin Harris, who we've had on the show before and, of course, won three national titles at Miami and started at center for two seasons. Kelvin, who basically follows and analyzes the Canes on his own podcast, was nice enough to join me for about 40 minutes. We handed out grades for each position for the you know, for the North Carolina game, and I thought it was a great episode. Unfortunately, the system we record the podcast on failed us, so what you're listening to now is actually take two of uh, Wide Right. So I wasn't going to make Kelvin record the entire podcast again, so you've got me and only me for this entire episode. I apologize to Kelvin. Uh, we're going to try to get him on again soon, hopefully. For now, the show goes on, as they say, and I want to start this episode off by trying to squeeze the positive out of this North Carolina game. To me, there was no bigger positive for the Hurricanes than quarterback Jaron Williams. I thought Jaron played really well in his second college start. He completed 30 of his 39 attempts for 309 yards and two touchdowns. The 30 completions alone were the most by Miami quarterbacks since Brad Kaya completed 32 passes in a blowout win over Pittsburgh in 2016. Last season, uh, Miami didn't have a quarterback complete more than 21 passes in a game. Jaron had that uh, by the third quarter. Um, I know some people say, well, he's throwing short passes. He's not slinging it all over the field like Pat Mahomes. Okay, maybe he isn't throwing 15 and 20-yard outs, but I think Jaron has faced a ton of pressure, and he's yet to throw an interception among his 69 pass attempts. So he's making really smart decisions with the ball, even when he's under duress. And to me, that's the mark of a good quarterback. If you want to go next level, and, and we do that here because I'm a football nerd, Williams was 26 of 27 for 268 yards and two touchdowns when he was not under pressure against North Carolina. So really, only one bad pass when he's protected well. The 22 times North Carolina did blitz him, uh, Williams still completed 15 of his 22 passes for 149 yards and a score. 
Now, he only got sacked four times by the Tar Heels after getting sacked ten times by the Gators two weeks ago. But all the time that Dan Eno spent with him over the bye week preparing him for North Carolina, I thought made Jaron Williams a lot better. Against Florida, when Williams was pressured uh, on 23 of his 44 dropbacks, he was only able to complete four of those passes for 11 yards, uh, actually for three yards, four of 11 for, for three yards. So all that talk about keeping his eyes downfield and finding open receivers, he did that against North Carolina. And he did it at a pretty high level. So if you're looking for a sil silver lining, Miami fans, now that you're 0-2, Jaron Williams is like a big, fat, huge silver lining. Miami has a quarterback now that you can believe in. That was a huge issue last season. And we know that if you're going to really contend in college football, you need that guy under center who can not only make the throws but protect the football and make smart decisions. And Jaron Williams is not careless throwing the football. That's exactly what Manny Diaz and, and Danino said they wanted when the three guys were competing for the job this fall. Now, again, I didn't say Jaron wasn't careless with the football. I said he, wasn't care he isn't careless throwing the football uh, through Miami's first two games. He's, he's carrying it in an, an entirely different issue. I mean, he fumbled twice against UNC. Uh, one time the ball bounced right back up into his hands. The other time DJ Dallas was able to pounce on it for Miami, but... Jaron has got to get those ball handling issues fixed because I think the ball slipped out of his hands twice against Florida, too. If he can clean that up, though, I like what he's doing, and I like the way he's handling the pressure and making decisions. So Saturday, he graded out the second best among Miami's offensive players, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, you know, if you don't know the scale for Pro Football Focus, the average grade is between 60 to 65. Anything below 60 is bad. Anything above 65 is good. And obviously, the higher you go, the better. Jaron graded out at 78.3. If you look at the ACC passer ratings, right now, uh, Jaron is fifth best in the conference. His passer rating is 149.03. He's completed 71% of his passes for 523 yards and three touchdowns. I already told you he hasn't thrown any picks. Uh, Nikosi Perry's QB rating last year, uh, he finished 11th in the ACC out of 12 qualified passers. His QB rating was 114.95, so Jaron is literally 35 points better when it comes to QB rating. Nikosi completed only 50.8% of his passes. Again, Jaron is completing 71% of his passes. And I know there's fans out there that are saying, well, Manny, who cares? You know, Miami's still 0-2. Uh, nobody cares what Jaron Williams' completion percentage is. They don't care about his QB rating. I get it. But here's the thing. You're an idiot if you don't appreciate what Jaron Williams is doing right now. Uh, that's why Danny Nose is here to begin with. The number one priority this season, win or lose, was to resolve the quarterback issue. And after two games, it looks like Enos has done that. Let's not forget here either that Jaron Williams is only going to get better with more experience. This is two starts. And so the guy's going to continue to get better. I want to hammer my point home on Jaron uh, Miami's 10-0 start in 2017 when Malik Rozier was playing pretty good game manager. His passer rating was 131. So, again, Jaron has topped that by 18 points. Uh, Malik only completed 54% of his passes in 2017. Uh, again, Jaron is completing 71% of his passes. And he's not even getting all the help that he should. Jeff Thomas dropped a touchdown against Florida. This week, Brian Hightower had a ball bounce off his chest, literally bounce off his chest off the number seven right along the sideline. Um, again, people are telling me, hey, Manny, what about Tate Martell? They're 2-0. and Why isn't Tate Martell getting some run? Bottom line is, uh, you know, <laughs> Jaron Williams is doing what you need him to do. Um, 
Miami hasn't lost either of its first two games because of Jaron Williams. They're 0-2 because their defense can't protect the fourth quarter lead and their kicker has missed a couple of chip shots. Oh, and because Jeff Thomas fumbled the punt against Florida inside you know, Miami's own 10-yard line. I mean, this team is a lot closer to being 2-0 than you think. They've had some bad breaks go their way, and, and the tone around this program, I think, is much different today than it's you know, been in the last uh, couple years, at least at the quarterback position. Raul from Hialeah probably isn't drinking heavily right now if, if Jeff Thomas holds on to that punt and Bubba Baxter doesn't miss uh, two chip shot field goals. I guarantee you Raul from Hialeah is probably banging some pots and pans down 49th Street wearing his Manny Diaz County t-shirt right now if, if Miami's 2-0 and, and those mistakes don't happen. So, But back to Jaron. Um, Brad Kaya's highest completion percentage um, here in the three years he was a starter. Uh, Brad's junior year, 2016, his QB rating was 150.31. Again, Jaron Williams after two games, 149 which is right below that. Uh, Brad Kaya's best completion percentage in a single season was 62%. Again, Jaron Williams, 71% of his passes completed. So, again, the guy's playing great. And you know what? The most encouraging thing is that Jaron thinks he could have played a lot better than he did on Saturday. Did you see watching the game that you and the offense as a whole responded really well tonight because of step forward? Uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like we, we uh, responded, responded well. And... Uh, we definitely be getting better, but uh, I still feel like we're not where we need to be. We still got some things that uh, we need to work on and, um, and get better at. Like what? Um, like that last drive, you know, we, we got to score. You know, no matter no matter what the situation is, you know, we, we got to uh, execute. And, and um, you know, we, we just got to execute. Jared, can you take us to the last three plays there? You guys obviously had a couple chances. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like you couldn't, you couldn't get anybody open. Did you, were there guys that you thought you missed, maybe? Uh, yeah. Uh, there was one, I think, there was a double grand, uh, double post. I had Brian Hightower. Uh, I kind of led him up the field, and I felt like if I would have led him across the field, he would have scored. Um, yeah, the that was a play that, uh, that uh, I felt like I let get away from him. All right, one other thing you got to remember about Jaron Williams, he's had the lead twice now, or given his team the lead twice now, uh, with scoring drives in the fourth quarter, only to see Miami's defense let it go. Saturday, he engineered an eight-play, 68-yard drive and threw a beautiful 11-yard touchdown pass to Will Mallory to put Miami up 25-20 with 4.38 remaining. Um, and you know what he did on that drive? He found Jeff Thomas on third and eight at the Miami 45 for a 12-yard pickup. So he made a great gutsy throw. That was three plays after Cameron Harris had a 54-yard touchdown run, or not a touchdown run, but a 54-yard run, wiped out by a holding penalty. Jaron Williams is a gamer, man. The guy can play quarterback, and even though it sucks to be 0-2 Miami, you have something special in Jaron Williams, in my opinion. All right, we're going to move on. Miami's offense produced 179 yards rushing between DJ Dallas and Cam Harris on Saturday. That's close to five yards a carry. Jaron, by the way, had a nice run on Miami's last possession. Um, he scrambled for about 18 yards. He hasn't shown a ton of that, but and, and I'd like to see more of it from him going forward because I feel like that's an added element that's, that's only going to help receivers um, get open a little bit more often. Um, but DJ Dallas and Cam Harris are running like grown men right now. DJ had a 37-yard burst uh, on that fourth-quarter touchdown drive that the Hurricanes scored on uh, to go ahead. and uh, He's currently fourth in the ACC in rushing with 201 yards on 25 carries. That's an eight-yard average. Cam Harris would be right behind him among the conference rushing leaders if he didn't have 106 yards worth of, of runs wiped out by two holding penalties. Cam's only got 75 yards on 16 carries, but he should have 181 on 18 carries. It's crazy. 
Uh, Cam graded out the best of every player for the Hurricanes on Saturday. He was also the highest graded player against Florida. He's been on the field only for 40 snaps. It seems nuts. 15 against Florida, 25 against UNC. People are asking, uh, well, what are we going to see Lorenzo Lingard? And my question is, where do you put him right now, the way that DJ and, and Cam are playing? Kick return? I mean, that's probably the only realistic spot. So I think uh, if you're a, a big Lorenzo Lingard fan, there's a reason he's not playing, and that's because the two guys ahead of him are playing well. I'll tell you one guy who didn't take a single snap Saturday. That was Tate Martell. That dude was a spectator. And I know there are a lot of fans who think Tate Martell can help Miami win. Uh, JR and West Palm Beach does. Um, Tate played 15 snaps against Florida, ran it once for a, a loss of one yard in that game. The rest of the time, he was basically a decoy. 15 snaps, man, is a lot for a decoy. Tate didn't sniff the field uh, the handful of times Miami ran the Wildcat on Saturday at UNC. Instead, Dan Enos gave Brian Hightower, D. Wiggins, and Mark Pope those snaps. Uh, those three guys combined to play 40 snaps against North Carolina overall. Against Florida, they had a grand total of six. So, obviously a big shift in, in Dan Enos' thinking. I told you already that Hightower dropped the ball, but if you're Dan Enos, you've got to play Hightower, Wiggins, and Pope, and you got to see what you got in those three guys. Uh, if they stick around, they don't enter the transfer portal, they're going to be the future uh, uh, receivers on this team. So, I like that Dan Enos ended up giving them snaps uh, and over Tate Martell at receiver. Um, right now, Mike Harley, Jeff Thomas, K.J. Osborne, the three upperclassmen, they're getting all of the work, basically, and they deserve it. I mean, they've played the best, and from talking to Taylor Stubblefield and you know Enos and hearing their commentary, those guys are playing because uh, they're the most consistent, and they know the, they know the playbook, they run the routes right, and they play right. So K.J. Osborne, by the way, has not dropped the ball. He's been targeted 12 times. 11 catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. And like Jaron Williams, uh, K.J. Osborne said on Saturday, he thinks he can do more and he wants to do more. Any particular plays that kind of are haunting you guys on the offense right now? Anything that you kind of said, man, that was, that was an opportunity we should have cashed on? Uh, I'm sure some plays. I, I got one in, the, in, uh, in my mind I feel like I could have made a bigger play on. Um, I got caught a pass. I think I got tackled like, like around midfield. I feel like... Uh, like, you know, big-time player, you know, I could have maybe struck that for a touchdown. I could have changed the game. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm sure we'll see some steeds off of the field, but we'll see how it Before we leave the topic of Canes receivers, let's wrap up the talk on Martell because I know J.D. asked if the Canes might be better served by creating a package for him. My answer is yes. I think Tate Martell can help Miami as a runner, making him a part of the running game in the Wildcat could be a solution to some of Miami's red zone woes. Uh, because the Hurricanes have definitely struggled there. UM has been in the red zone uh, nine times. They've only scored four touchdowns. That's not good enough. A 44.4% red zone touchdown percentage is not good. Last year, Miami scored on 66% of their trips into the red zone, and that was a terrible year offensively. Last year, Clemson scored touchdowns on 76% of their trips into the red zone uh, on their way to the national title. That was sixth best in the country. So that's kind of the mark you strive for, around 76%. Right now, the Hurricanes are around 44%. they gotta, they got to convert. And if they do that against Florida and North Carolina, they win both of those games. All right, better offensive line play, of course, can help with better red zone performance. And you got to give Miami's coaching staff some credit for making an adjustment there. Starting freshman Ja'Kai Clark at right guard, moving DJ Scaife back out to right tackle. Scaife, of course, started the final seven games of 2018 there. They gave up 10 sacks to Florida. They were struggling bad. 
uh, struggling to protect Jaron Williams. Something had to be done. And I commend Dan Enos and Manny Diaz for not just standing pat, even though they told us that's what they were going to do. We were told no depth chart changes, but yet they made the change. Ja'Kai Clark uh, replaced Campbell, graded out as the second-best offensive lineman against North Carolina. PFF had him at 61.9. Um, Navon Donaldson scored the highest grade again among offensive linemen. He graded out at 69, which was slightly above average. Um, Scaife called for that holding penalty on Cam Harris's 54-yard run. He graded out at 61.3. Corey Gaynor was next, 57.4. And Zion Nelson, the freshman starting left tackle, uh, had a 53.6 grade. Zion played a much better game than he did against Florida, by the way, uh, and, and he deserves credit for that. I didn't see him getting beat too many times. Vast improvement for Miami's line overall from game one to game two. Um, they weren't facing Florida's pass rush, which is obviously much better, but um, you know the, the, pre the amount of pressure that Williams faced went down. He was pressured on 57 dropbacks against Florida, against North Carolina. It was only 42%, and I thought the run blocking was actually much better. Here's what Manny Diaz had to say about moving Ja'Kai Clark into the starting lineup. Seemed like the, the adjustment to put Jakai in the starting lineup. I believe he was there the whole game. Just the way that he played in particular. Yeah, Jakai and, and, and DJ went out to uh, the right tackle, you know, and, and it just gave us a chance to function. I thought we ran the ball very well. I thought we, you know, our backs ran hard. You know, I thought we um, we made a goal that we wanted out rush him, and, and we, we had accomplished that really up until you know I'm not sure how it finished, but but we had we had established that for most of the game. So the offense played well enough to win against UNC, and I'd say the improvement they made from game one to game two has to give you hope moving forward. The one area that's really bothering you as a Hurricanes fan is what happened defensively because that's the bread and butter of this program. It has been since Manny Diaz arrived. Both games this season, we've seen breakdowns in the secondary, and we've seen this defense blow a fourth-quarter lead. That fourth and 17 play where Sam Howell was able to find a wide-open Rontavious toe groves was just disturbing i was on the field for it and uh here it is with 255 remaining how back to throw looking downfield fires incomplete it's caught by groves for the first down here's what manny diaz had to say about the coverage miami was in after the game when i asked him there was a pressure uh, it's a two read coverage so two goes out then corner comes up and um didn't play it very well, you know, didn't get pressure very well, and uh, the guy made a good throw, good catch. Mike, fourth, fourth and 17, what, what happened on that play? Um, simple, we just got to finish, you know, um, we just we just didn't finish, you know, we had him backed up, we had him in a critical situation, and they made a hell of a play, and that's bad on our part, we got to do better, you know, we got to practice that in, in practice, but um, we just got to, the sense of urgency wasn't there, I feel like, and um, we just got to come back, we got to do better as a leader, that's on, that's on me and the other leaders. Are you guys kind of in shock now? What's it like in the locker room? Kind of um, I mean, we just, you know, just trying to encourage everybody. You know, we got to finish. I mean, it's not really just that fourth and 17 play. We shouldn't even been in that situation in the first place, but um, we, we just got to play better. You know, we got to play more clean. We got to finish games. We can't be, be complacent. You, you guys didn't look like yourselves at all in the first quarter defensively. What what do you think got off this little start? Everybody was asleep, you know. Um, they definitely had the momentum coming in. It was a packed out house, sold out. Um, you know, uh, we were trying to get back into ball. It looked like, to me, it looked like they played a game last week and we didn't, and um, that's what happened. And um, I think we just we just got to do better as leaders, just trying to trying to be better on the bye week and just trying to encourage everybody to come out not flat. We knew coming into the season that it was not going to be easy to replace some of the guys who left for the NFL. You don't replace three two-year starters and cornerback Michael Jackson. 
Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrick Redwine in your secondary and get the same level of elite production. You don't take Gerald Willis, a second-team All-American defensive tackle, and Joe Jackson, who led the team in sacks, off the roster and just expect the pass rush to be the same. Maybe you did that in the 80s and 90s as a Hurricanes fan, but this is the new Miami. This is not the football factory for first-round picks it was anymore. Hell, none of the five guys I just mentioned were even first, second, or third-round picks. They were third-day picks. So the point is, though, uh, we should have expected some slippage at least early in the season from this Hurricanes defense. The secondary is the one area where you've sort of seen it the most early on. Amari Carter and Gervin Hall, two good athletes, but filling the shoes of Redwine and Johnson at safety has just not been easy for him. Uh, before he got ejected for targeting 10 plays into the game, Carter was having a rough night. Uh, he graded out an abysmal 26.5. Hall, meanwhile, was average 60.6. The communication in the secondary has just not been good, and Manny Diaz talked about that afterward. We'll get to that audio in a minute. But the 65-yard pass play Florida hit on uh, Miami before they took the lead against them a couple weeks ago, that play happened because Carter wasn't where he was supposed to be. Saturday, Carter watched the game from the locker room, and it left fifth-year senior Robert Knowles to play, step in and play 60 plays. I know Miami fans are not fans of Robert Knowles. Uh, he's blown some coverages, missed tackles. He hasn't looked great overall in his career. But he actually graded out the highest of anyone in Miami's secondary, 66.6. .6. Again, these are PFF's grades, Pro Football Focus. All three of Miami's corners struggled. Uh, Trajan Bandy got torched on a double move for a 62-yard touchdown catch. DJ Ivy got beat over the top again. Ivy, by the way, played 59 snaps. Al Blades played only 24 after he was replacing the starting lineup by Ivy. Just not a good day for Miami's pass defense. They gave up 292 yards on 17 completions. Uh, right now, after two games, Miami ranks 122nd out of 130 FBS programs in opponent passer rating. A year ago, the Canes led the nation in that category. Florida and North Carolina have combined to have five pass plays go for more than 30 yards against Miami's defense. A year ago, the Canes allowed just 12 pass plays of 30, more yards, 30 or more yards all season. Here's what Manny Diaz had to say about some of the struggles Miami's secondary has had. It was kind of startling how they kind of jumped out 17-3, scored so easily on the defense. What was kind of going wrong early defensively for you guys? Well, we were our communication in the secondary, and we were just cutting guys completely free, just giving them free offense, you know, which is just something we had pride ourselves on not doing. Um, once we settled down, there was a large segment of the game, really in the middle part of the game, where we were dominant, and then we just we lost our edge in the fourth quarter and allowed them to score there at the end. Were secondary miscues anything you would see in practice, or did they just surface? No, I think I think I think there's some I think there's some youth, and especially going into this environment, being on the road and and, and, and coming off of a of a bye and just that game sharpness, just being ready to play, you know, from the jump, from some of those guys. And, and then, like I said, once they settled down, they were okay, but you know, the damage had been done. Now, for those of you wondering and asking when Bubba Bolden, the safety who came in from UNC uh, USC, will be back. His mother posted on Twitter Sunday that the NCAA required her son to sit out a calendar year from the date he left USC. So basically, he will make his debut October 5th against Virginia Tech, which is the third game of this five-game homestand that's coming for Miami. Bubba's return will help Miami's depth, potentially stabilize some of the communication issues going on back there. I know safety's coach Ephraim Banda thinks the world of Bolden believes that uh, Bubba's certainly going to help. Okay, so before we wrap things up, a couple more items regarding the Canes defense to watch here. So far, Gregory Rousseau has played a ton, uh, not played a ton, rather. He's played a grand total of 26 snaps. Uh, he had 14 against Florida, 12 against UNC. 
Greg's PFF grade for the UNC game was average after he had a sack against Florida. Jordan Miller, meanwhile, uh, he flashed against North Carolina. I thought he had a nice play in the backfield early on. He got on the field for 11 snaps against the Tar Heels, so it's nice to see a little bit of uh, depth starting to really develop at that defensive tackle spot, which will only help get helped when Nessa Silvera comes back. Zach McLeod, meanwhile, has played a grand total of 13 snaps so far this season. That means Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney have continued to get the bulk of the work at linebacker. Shaq is graded out below average in both games. Pinckney graded out uh, 61.3, which is average against North Carolina. Overall, Miami ranks 20th nationally in tackles for loss with 16. They were number one last year in that category. The Canes are also fifth in third down defense, which you know, they had a 20% conversion rate. Last year they were number one in third down defense. Miami ranks 18th in run defense. That's one area they've improved, actually. They're allowing only 2.3 yards per carry. A year ago, Miami was 42nd against the run, allowing 3.5 yards per carry. So they've played two pretty good backfields and held their own thus far. All right, before we really wrap up, I wanted to take a moment to remind our listeners they can participate in our podcast by calling our show. You can do so any day of the week by leaving your hot take or question on our voicemail box. The number to call, once again, 929-430-7764. Again, 929-430-7764. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my producer Mike Zimmer and I put out podcasts twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Both are available at theathletic.com. We also make sure to make one of those pods this Monday episode, every Monday, free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Those who subscribe to The Athletic get both pods, so please sign up. All right, this coming Saturday, the Canes are going to host Bethune-Cookman at home. It's the first of five consecutive home games over the next six weeks. I think it's going to be a good opportunity to see some backups get on the field. We'll have some. We'll have much more on that and whatever else goes down at the U the next couple days in our next podcast Thursday. For Mike Zimmerman, my producer, Raul and Hialeah, Laz and Cutler Ridge, JR and West Palm, we'll see you guys next time. Wide Right is out.